everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sex, Love, and Injectables. We are continuing the aesthetic series, and I keep saying I'm super excited because I am, so I'm sorry you have to hear it again, but I'm super excited about the guest that we have today because he is one of the best plastic surgeons in the DFW area. His name is Dr. Rahani, which we didn't talk about this before, I'm sorry, but Everybody else calls him Dr. Rahati. And so here he is on Sex, Love, and Injectables. Will you please introduce yourself? Heather, good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Yes, I'm a facial plastic surgeon, which means I only operate on everything from the neck up. And I do injectables. It's probably about 30, 40% of my practice. And we've met through the injectable circle, yes. obviously. But the other half is really facelifts, rhinoplasties, eyelids, things like that. So do a lot of surgical and I'm able to blend those two. And I think that's why this is going to be a great conversation today. It's going to be amazing. I have zero doubts about that. But I got you on because with the aesthetic series, we've been talking about all of the treatments that you can do on the non-surgical side, including Botox, filler, skin tightening things that you can do. But there's certain patients that just don't meet that criteria or their expectations exceed what I can do on the non-surgical side. So bringing you on to talk about surgical procedures is going to be amazing because I have punted several clients over to you. And, you know, ultimately our goal is to optimize the outcomes for patients. And, and I know where my limitations are on that. And so again, it's this whole collaborative effort of, of people in the aesthetic industry. So I'm super glad that you're here and I'm excited to talk about everything from non-surgical stuff to surgical stuff. So Basically, just to recap on what we've talked about before on the show. So I, I take a four prong approach for clients, meaning it's not a step one, step two situation. It's, it's just a, these are the things that you can do to optimize your aesthetic treatment. Number one being Botox. We've talked about that. And Botox is a blanket statement for all the neuromodulators. There's four different products on the market. They all work the same. It's just patient dependent on, on what your preference is and what your injector prefers. Two, filler. We talked about that you use it for volume restoration. If you use it to restore lost volume, you can prevent yourself from looking like the pillow face filter that is very popular right now. Number three, skin tightening. We talked mostly about threads, but on the surgical side, that's kind of where you come in because you do a lot of procedures surgically that tighten the skin. And then we will eventually talk about medical grade skincare and stuff that you can do at home and with your estheticians just to optimize all of these results. So that is the recap to start things out, I just kind of want to talk about how you handle patients when they first come into your office. What's your approach? Sure. So a lot of patients that come to see me usually have more of a directed question and they're perhaps maybe a little older than your demographic, but they may not be, but they're coming in, they have a concern, perhaps their lower eyelids, perhaps their neck. They want to know the best way to address it. And for experienced injectors like you, who know the limitations maybe of injectables, you send them my way. Some people are there interacting with me for the first time. They found me online. So we're talking through the various options. There's, you know, there's multiple different ways that we can treat a problem. The question is, what's the best way that's going to give you the result you want? So what are your expectations? None of these treatments are free. So you want something that's going to be cost effective. Right. And 
there's no timeline for this stuff. And we can kind of talk. I know we were going to talk a little bit about timelines. I get asked a lot about what's the right age to do this. You know, when should I have my facelift, et cetera. There's no right timeline for it. But there's kind of a general idea of when things should happen. And I think, therefore, getting into somebody like you that they can trust and uh, can kind of guide the way is really the best way to handle that. And just develop that relationship and go from there. When patients come to see me, we're going to go through all the options. We're going to talk about what I would recommend, obviously. And I would probably try to steer them in one direction or another. But because I do all of that, we are talking about all of it. Right. Yeah. No, I think I think that talking about everything as a whole is important, especially because we're dealing with people that individually have different situations going on physically. And so, yeah, for me as in a prime, I mean, obviously I don't do anything surgical. It's outside of my scope of practice. So for me, my consultation is always limited to non-surgical approaches. So And you do injectables too. So this is an interesting Mm -hmm. point for me. If I see somebody that is not going to get those optimal results, I go straight towards punting and I I'll be honest, like you are my face person and I don't know. How do you feel about plastic surgeons? This is just a random topic, but how do you feel about (laughs) plastic surgeons? I do this sometimes it's ADD diagnosed, but there's certain surgeons out there that, that do everything. I don't know that I necessarily trust that. I feel like there's areas of expertise and like with you, you do facial plastic surgery from the neck up. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on expanding that approach to everything else? Do you feel like you found your niche? You know, I think it's a personality thing. I'm an, I'm a niche person, but I also trained in head and neck surgery. So if you see somebody that's facial plastics, their initial residency was in head and neck surgery. So I did that for five years. And then I did a fellowship just specializing in facial plastic surgery. You know, Texas in Texas, you know, anybody can even inject almost. I you know. know. So, Don't even get me. That's so a whole nother episode. When you start looking at who are you trusting to do your facelift, it really comes down to what what's their experience and what, are they doing this on a regular basis? Right. You know, and when I'm doing them three or even four times a week, you know, that's all I do. I'm not, I'm not going in and I'm not dabbling in facelifting. That's what I do. And that's a big part of my practice. So it really comes down to what are your, what are, what are those, what are the results like? Obviously they've, they've had that training, but as you know, you train on something that doesn't mean you're maintaining that skill set. It's something that you just have to keep practicing. And so some of my best friends are, you know, plastic surgeons and, you know, a lot of them will do just as many facelifts as, as I do. And, you know, it's it's really just about what's their experience. Do they have an interest in facial? Is this something that they're going to do on the side? Right. You know. So I feel like what what we're basically coming down to is to research your person and to make sure that they provide the work that you're looking for. And I just feel like personally, Always. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail homework. on the head. Do yeah. your homework. I mean, we've all seen the viral photos of the influence and tell me if you haven't the influencer that is all on Instagram right now because she Uh got some jacked up Botox. Did you see it? I am probably the least plugged in person. Okay. Let me, let me catch you up on it. So there's this influencer. She's a beautiful girl. Apparently she went to a, a well-known injector who injected Botox on to try to lift the brow. So the, a, 
orbicularis oculi mm-hmm. muscle, but it went too deep and it hit the levator. Mm-hmm. And so, and if you're non-medical, sorry, basically just ignore this part, but it dropped her eye so sure. drastically mm-hmm. that it looks like she suffered from a stroke and has residual side effects from that. And so the articles that are coming out, she's she's being very open and public with it, which is great, but it's also scary because people will see that and they'll be like, I'm never going to do that. So one side of her face, her eyelids almost completely co- closed. Uh-huh. To further make this worse, just to backtrack, she then went to another injector to try to correct the problem, and the injector tried to inject more Botox, which is a huge no-no. I don't know how you practice that, but mine is if it's dropped, you just let it wear off. Uh, I know there's other things that you can do, but I never inject more Botox. I feel like that's just going to put gas on the fire. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there was one article that struck me because it said, Patient suffered severe side effects from Botox because one side of her eye is almost completely closed and the other side is bulging out. And so I just want to just address this now because this is a viral thing happening that is being asked to me. You're going to get it tomorrow now because we're talking about it. (laughs) This is not a side effect of Botox. This is a complication and complications are always possible. It's on the consent form. If you take a moment to actually read it, it is on there. But it's for experienced injectors, dare I say, it's really hard to cause this if you know your anatomy. What's the bulging eye? The bulging eye is not bulging. It's just the eye is working. Oh, and okay. so when you look at it. So she's, it's open. It's open and okay. the other eye is and not. it looks bulging so it relative looks to like, the other eye. Yes, exactly. So I went on that tangent just to say that, yes, especially in Texas, you have to do your homework and research because there is a really wide gray area mm-hmm. that allows anybody to inject And for those prospect injectors out there, I know it looks fun and it looks lucrative and everybody wants to get into it. But this is one of the most challenging positions that you can be in. If you think about it, you're messing with somebody's face and a millimeter of difference can make a huge change in the face. So I just jumped off of of everything that we had planned just to address that, but I feel like I think it's that's important. okay. And I think, I think it's, if we can talk about it for a second, sure, because we don't know who her injector was and it could have been an experienced injector. Right. Okay. So I know experienced injectors that have had serious complications as serious as blindness yes. as an adverse reaction to injectable fillers. And I was actually talking to an injector not too long ago and it, it kind of struck me a little bit with the brashness of the question, but she almost asked me how many adverse reactions have you had or how many complications I've never had any, which means I'm a better injector basically is what was the implied thing. Mm. Mm. And you have to have some element of humility because even experienced injectors can have these types of complications. What she's obviously experiencing is ptosis of the eyelid. This could have been an experienced injector and this is her one out of uh, 10,000 that, and it just, and it was it an hit. influencer. <laughs> it hit on an influencer and I'm not That's downplaying this, but you know, this is something that can happen. It does last for about, it could happen. It could last as little as a few weeks or it could last up to three months. If it happens, sure. You can do a little bit of Botox right above the levator and that can slightly improve it. Most people start on eye drops to stimulate that muscle to try to, um, just minimize the amount that it's drooping. Right. But 
but it can happen to anyone. And so we, you know, you just, you have to be humble, I think, as you an injector. To, sure. And you do have to talk about these risks with patients because you don't know when they're going to happen. Right. And unfortunately, it happened to this influencer in, in the injector and all of this. So <laughs> bless I, all of them. I think, I think it's a lesson too for injectors just to be humble. And yeah. when you're having these conversations, you do have to talk about all the risk of, of this happening. You know, you want to be a little bit cautious if somebody has a wedding in a few weeks, oh, you don't want to go for, sure. for the gold. You want to try to give them a nice, soft, subtle improvement. If this is their first time you're injecting them. Yes. Okay. And so. there's going to be a show specifically dedicated for those that are getting married. Cause I've had a couple that are like, yeah, I'm getting married in a week. Can I do my lips? And I'm like, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm not going to be responsible for that. So for future reference, if I have any complications, I'm just going to punt them to you because I, w I won't put more Botox and like, I feel like I'm just going to make it worse, but as I, I do see, I do see some of this, you know, because I do teach and yeah. I know you teach as well, but I do see this in the community and, and I, I get a lot of complications run by me or sent to me and we do talk through it and no, I'm sending all the lips to you. That's, that's, that's fine. I'll works. take, I'll take <laughs> the, the lips. You can have all my complicator or all my complicated master. people. <laughs> This is perfect. I love this. Okay. So going back for non-surgical versus surgical, when I have patients come in, I'm looking for specific keywords that they say that is going to help me to decide if I'm the best practitioner or if they need to be punted to more surgical approach. And, you know, a couple things that I look for will go to specific areas. So some of the areas that are most commonly punted to surgical approach would be the eyelids, whether they're the lower or the upper eyelids, the neck, and just the face as a whole. So a lot of people are very interested in under eye filler, but I'd say maybe like, I don't know, 40 to 50% are actually good candidates. And ironically, it's the younger demographic that is more ideal of a candidate. If it's more genetically related and related strictly to volume, then that's something that we can address. If it is related to skin laxity and you're seeing a bulging occur because of the laxity, filler can actually worsen the problem. And so those are probably my most commonly referred clients. But Second is definitely neck. I think neck is a very complicated area. You can do non-surgical treatments to help to make it look mildly better, but ultimately I'm probably going to get so much feedback from other injectors on this. I really feel like sending them to you is a more optimal approach. If you consider how often you have to return the length of or the amount of treatments that you have to get and, and just the outcome. So what do you look for whenever you have patients come in where you're like, no, this is, I mean, this is good because you do surgical and non-surgical. So what ultimately are you looking for that's going to determine if they're a surgical candidate? I think we could probably do an hour just on lower eyelids. Perfect. <laughs> this is going to be a five hour long podcast, guys. Yeah. Just buckle up. But the reason is that every patient's different. Right. You hinted it. Okay. So your, your four prong approach. Yes. It's funny because. I always say that there's always three components to the lower eyelid and there are exactly what you're talking about. There's the dynamic movement mm -hmm. treated by Botox. There's volume deficit treated by fillers or fat. And then there's the skin elasticity component. And in some cases that can be treated with lasers or skin tightening, but in the extreme examples, it needs to be surgically removed or excised. Okay. Right. 
So those three components are going on with everybody's lower eyelids. As we're losing volume in the cheeks, the cheek fat pads start to descend. The little uh, fat pads underneath the eyes start to become a little bit more prominent. That creates those bags under the eyes. This isn't an aging issue. This is a genetic issue. And there's patients in their 30s that have it. And then there's patients in their 60s that don't. It does not create an old appearance. It creates a tired appearance. Yes, which we are. Everybody's tired. Yes, we just don't want to look like we're tired. <laughs> but when we're approaching those lower eyelids, we need to see a number of different things. And some patients, this is difficult to show via podcast, obviously. Right. But we're looking at the cheek position relative to the surface of the eyeball. We call that kind of a negative vector patient versus a positive vector. We're trying to, we're trying to determine even if we did surgery on this patient, are they going to need volume added? Because you can't just take out a bunch of fat on somebody whose mid-face is really far back because right. it can make the eyes look excessively bulgy, et cetera. And in those patients, we're very conservative about fat removal. I do more fat repositioning. And I tell those patients they're probably going to need filler even after surgery. And patients that do have a lot of skin laxity, as you hinted at, when they have injectable fillers, those fillers draw on a thousand times their weight in water, right? Right. So when you're injecting that filler that skin is just going to, it's going to balloon up. And then they're dealing with these bags under their eyes for the next two to four weeks plus, you end up dissolving some of it. They hate it, right? Yes. You've done enough to know who the right candidates are, and it's maybe a little bit hard to explain that without having experience. Right, you know? no, it is, for sure. But after you've done a few tear troughs, you know this patient's a good candidate or that patient isn't a good candidate. You have to feel the where the rim of the eye socket is. You have to feel the degree of... Uh, fat that's coming, kind of coming over the eye socket. So there's all these little subtleties to injecting that really just comes with experience. Well, you hit something that I want to talk about just a little bit further because a lot of my new clients, which I'm thrilled about, a lot of my new clients have been just blank canvases. They've never had injectables before, which I prefer. I love to work on a blank canvas, but the common fear is that they're scared that they're not going to look like themselves or that they're going to look overfilled. And, and I talk about this every single day because there's a difference between overfilled and using enough for just volume restoration. And sometimes mm -hmm. clients don't realize the amount that it takes to restore lost volume. So I've chalked it up to clients or patients feeling the need to tighten the skin with filler. And that ultimately creates this overfilled look. It's almost like stuffing a pillowcase. It's not comfortable when you overstuff it and it doesn't look right. What do you feel like contributes to the overfilled face syndrome? If you look at natural results, they are achieving two things. One is that they're achieving improvement in skin laxity. And two, they're, they're, they're achieving improvement in the fact that we're having volume loss. Okay. So you can't just add volume and you can't just take out skin. If you just do a facelift on somebody without adding volume, it's just going to be less skin around a smaller facial skeleton. Right. We're losing volume, not only in our uh, fat pads, we're losing it in the muscles. We're losing it in the bone. The facial skeleton, as we know, gets smaller. The mid-face gets smaller. The jawbone gets shorter. It's rude. The eye socket gets larger. All these things are happening from the bone level out. Right. And so just by doing a facelift, it's not going to make you necessarily look like a younger version of yourself. You have to replace the volume component at the same time. 
And like I said, vice versa, you can't just add volume. It's not going to look like you. Volume addresses the volume component. It doesn't address the skin elasticity component. That has to be addressed with either skin tightening or something surgical. And, you know, these fillers don't create this problem. The injectors create this problem. Preach. <laughs> yes. I got goosebumps. I'm like, yeah, no, seriously. It's, it, I hate to even say this, but. I mean, overfilled syndrome is caused by injectors, injectors that overfill. Yes. And, and I feel like when you're doing your research, look at the injector, because if they're overfilled, they're comfortable looking that way. It's normalized in their lives. And so it then translates into their work. And I'm not shooting bullets at anybody. I'm just saying that that's something that you should consider when you're doing your research is to look at that. And I, I just personally, I think all of us injectors, maybe not so much on the plastic side, but on my level, I think we all kind of experience a little bit of that body dysmorphia because we're constantly in the mirror looking at ourselves and we're looking at patients and we're judging things. So I have accountability people where I'm like, let me know if I ever cross that line. But my goal, and I'm glad that you bring that up. My goal is to make my patient feel like themselves, but just refreshed. And so I will never tell a patient that I'm going to shave years off or I'm going to make them look younger because that is impossible. That's not the goal. That's just a societal thing that we all feel that the younger we are, the more valuable we are. And it's the opposite. In my opinion, the older we get, the more value we bring, the more wise we are. And so on an aesthetic level, we have to determine if they're healthy enough to receive these treatments. And part of that is, is realizing that we're going to be the age that we are. That's a given, but we're trying to create a confidence in that age and helping somebody to feel confident on the outside, but they also have to be confident on the inside to do that. So that's a little deep, but I liked that you brought up, we're not trying to make you look unlike you. We're trying to make you the same you, but just refreshed and rejuvenated and just feeling like the best version of yourself possible at the age that you are. And so that was just, that's my little tangent, but I feel like it's important. And that's part of the reason why even during my consultation process, I started with what do you love about yourself? And it, I don't know if you've ever tried this. If you haven't, it's fun, but also interesting because when you ask somebody who's coming in to see you to address things that they don't like, they're not expected to talk about things that they love. And I feel like it just changes the, the environment. So Rabbit hole. No, that's good. I think over, I think, you know, I don't know when it started, but one habit I try to get into is before I ever give anybody feedback, I try to start with a compliment. Yes, I think that's And great. so when you're doing your assessment, you don't, some people don't realize the power of words, right? Right. And it's a privilege to be in this industry and to be able to look at somebody and to honestly tell them how to improve their appearance. Right. And it's not something that should be taken lightly because whatever you are telling that person who is trusting you, they're going to see it for the rest of their life in the mirror. For sure. And so just understand, I mean, it goes back to being humble, right? But I like to start every console with a compliment. You've got great skin. You've got a great jawline. You know, you, your natural neckline is really beautiful, right? right? Start with little things like that because it, like you're talking about, we're not trying to build something from scratch here. You're looking at your canvas. You have to see the beauty in your canvas in your canvas 
so that sure. you can create what you're trying to create, right? Yeah, we're not trying to create a complex. Right. And so if you can see the beauty in your patient, then you can really kind of capitalize on their beautiful features. Right. Versus creating a whole nother issue where exactly. they're like, I was here for my lips. I didn't know that I had mm-hmm. a saggy neck. And so. BDD, BDD, body dysmorphic disorder, a whole nother uh, topic of con- conversation. If you're really focused on something to the point to where it inhibits your ability to go outside and to see people, I mean, that's, you need to be thinking about body dysmorphic disorder. If it's For even sure. on your radar as an injector, you don't want to inject that patient. If you're a patient who, your nose is a little bit crooked and you don't go out at night because of it. Uh, you know, you need to talk to somebody about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. No, I think that that's something that doesn't get discussed enough is assessing that patient on the inside. And, and I talked very openly about this last episode. If you're somebody that I even think is suffering from that, then you do get punted to a different practitioner to work on the inside first, because there's nothing that you can do on the outside that's going to improve that disorder because you're always constantly looking for what's wrong. So no, I think, I think that's extremely important. Um, another thing that you brought up that I want to bring back up is that with your facelifts, their combination treatment. And I love that you said, even after your facelift, you're going to look for restoring volume still with either filler or fat grafting. And you're still going to look at other non-surgical approaches because the facelift isn't going to fix everything. What, uh, cause I get a lot of patients that are like, I don't want a facelift. I don't want to look like super shiny and the skin looks like it's totally pulled back. And I know that you're probably triggered right now. Cause you, I'm sure get this a lot. Facelifts I'm have not changed. Yet. Not yet. Okay. I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> so, triggered me. Perfect. So facelifts have been around for a long time, but the technology has obviously improved greatly. So nowadays you're not just tightening the skin, but you're also looking at tightening other, like it's, what is it? The deep facial plane. I could be completely screwing this up right now and embarrassing myself. It's close. Okay, good. Close enough. So how has it changed from before where patients don't have to be worried about looking like they're just so tight that it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. to even talk? It goes back to our filler. Like fillers don't make people look unnatural. Injectors do. The surgery itself is a good surgery. It's who the surgeon is and what their what their aesthetic is, right? So I can pull it a certain way, but I don't do it because I don't think it looks good. And when you think of technologies, yes, facelifting has been around for over 100 years. Um, there's been discoveries in terms of the SMAS or the superficial musculoaponeurotic system. That's what I was trying to get with the deep facial yeah, plane stuff. Yeah, yeah. And well, that leads to the deep plane facelift, um, which was actually, you think of, you know, we're in, I love that you're in Fort Worth, by the way. And I love Fort Worth. Yeah. And uh, I think you bring so much to this community and everything that you do with injecting and Thank you. Um, just being an ambassador for the for the community, I think is amazing. But you look at the tradition of Dallas-Fort Worth and Dallas in particular and the history of facelifting. I mean, Dallas is has historically been bigger than L.A., bigger than New York when it comes yes. to uh, the history of facelifting. You know, doctors like Sam Hammer, Fritz Barton. These are guys that invented the modern techniques that we use for facelifting all over the country, all over the world. And so we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the hub of it. Um, I trained at UT Southwestern and, you know, we were lucky enough to get exposed to a lot of, uh, a lot of those techniques and everything. And, um, it just goes to tell you that these techniques are always developing. They're always changing, but everybody has their own spin on it. And so everybody's doing things a little bit differently. 
They've got a different aesthetic eye. So again, it just goes back to who's doing it, how they're doing it. There are certain techniques that I think are better than other techniques, right. but that same technique in a different surgeon's hands may be worse than a different technique in a different surgeon's hands. So do so. your homework. Just and do look your homework, for somebody people. that you vibe with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I think that is almost as important. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you're going to have a complication, but if you do, how is your surgeon going to handle it? Right. And I see it as dating. I don't operate on everybody I see in, in a consultation. If there is somebody that, um, you know, if they don't like the surgeon that they're going to see, realize you're going to be dealing with that person after surgery. If something yes. comes up, you're going to have to be seeing that. This is like a lifelong connection that you're having with this person. Right. And this isn't just dating. I mean, you're, you're cutting on someone's face, you know, even, yeah, inje- even injecting, right? Way more intimate than dating. I feel like injecting. If you see the inside of my face, that's, we've just became another level of connection. <laughs> so no, I, I agree. You have to, you have to be able to vibe and realize that you're going to have to communicate with that practitioner, even on the yep. non-surgical side, uh, for as long as you're doing treatment and as long as whatever schedule you give them for aftercare, which I would assume is a long time because just like non-surgical surgical requires follow-up yep. and sometimes surgical requires surgical. So yeah, you definitely want to get somebody that you vibe with and not somebody that's, that just, you know, you know, upon meeting somebody that you're either going to mesh well with them or you're going to be like, mm, they had that weird vibe. So I think ultimately it does come down to homework and making sure that you research your practitioner and make sure that they just illustrate that same style that you're going for because that's who you're going to, that's, they're doing your face. The, your face is important. Your face is not something that you want to group on. If you want to group on something, group on like physical items like shoes. Although I would never, I wouldn't personally group on shoes, but what I'm saying is your shoes look fancier than group. Yeah, they are fancy. (laughs) I mean, shout out golden goose sneakers, but anyway, maybe they'll sponsor me if I keep saying them on the show. Uh, but yeah, so ultimately it's about just researching your practitioner. So going back, you had brought up that individuals, that come into your office, get a very customized approach and that there's not really a singular answer that you can give, whether somebody requires non-surgical treatments versus surgical treatments. However, I brought this up last time when I turned 30, I was still in this industry and I went to my medical director who was a plastic surgeon. And I was like, so how can I do things now to prevent me from looking like the before picture. How can I just maintain? Is there is there such a thing as mini lifts? I'm about to trigger you. I feel it. But is there such a thing as mini lifts? Can 30-somethings undergo facelift-type procedures and then get the facelift again later so that you're not having to get to a point where like, wow, the, those results are drastic. And the reason why I ask this is because there is a plastic surgeon in LA who does a lot of 30 year old mini lifts via like whether it's the neck or just mini lifts on the face. And everybody who I spoke to in Texas, like go home, enjoy what you have. You don't need anything yet. But my argument was, I don't want to need it. Kind of like with Botox preventative. Is there anything surgical that you can do preventative and ethically? Would you do it? Hmm. (laughs) 
So it's almost like fillers, right? If you don't need the volume, you don't inject fillers. Right. Surgery for the most part would address skin laxity. If you don't have the skin laxity, you're not going to go in and do surgery. It's not going to be worth it for you. There's right. only so much lift you're going to get. There's only so much tightening you're going to get. It doesn't slow the aging process down, right? Right. You're still, your, age, your, your skin is still going to continue at whatever trajectory it's on is going to continue to age. And some people don't really start aging until their 40s, right? Right. There's a lot of hormonal component to aging. And so a lot of this stuff, my patients don't describe this gradual onset especially like menopause, they don't describe a gradual onset of aging when, when it comes to this stuff. It happens fast. I, mean, I know, it's really rude. And we're, we're talking overnight and they, they come in and this is, the, this is what they've noticed is this real rapid onset. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to prevent that from happening at some point because the skin overall is going to change, okay? More commonly, people come to me for a facelift when they're starting to see more of the earlier signs. And that from an age standpoint, is probably more in your 40s, okay? But they see a little bit of skin laxity. They see a little bit of tightening. We will do something if there's something there that is going to be improved, right? And it really just depends on, is there anything there? Is it worth undergoing surgery for this degree of improvement? Is it worth the risk of undergoing surgery, et cetera? If you're going to be looking exactly the same, there was really no point. I hear you. Thank you for my personal come to Jesus conversation. Cause it is, this is I, really an intervention. This it is, this is, that's fine. It's an intervention. <laughs> I needed it. <laughs> no, but I think a lot of, a lot of today's society has a huge pressure to maintain their looks because of filter culture and just social media in general. You're getting into a whole nother can of worms. I know. I know. I'm starting something that I can't finish. So um, I spoke, I spoke to a group of moms at a local community and talking about their daughters and the expectations that Instagram has placed. It is very challenging. And you know, this as a, as a yes. mother, just the, I mean, how are you navigating that? And how are you saying this isn't, this isn't real, you know, and this isn't the expectation. This isn't natural. What you're seeing in here is photoshopped. It's it's really tough. I think that that is exactly what we have to be saying. But the challenge is also that the mothers are seeing this as well and feeling pressure, but not as intense as, as our adolescents and younger adults are. So I think it is important to make sure that our kids realize that social media is the highlight reel. It's not real. It's everybody's best image at the best angle, the best lighting, the best filter that makes their skin look, look like it's not textured. And it's to the point that we're, when you take a picture myself, if I take a picture and I see texture, I'm like, Ooh, I need to filter that out. So I think that, you know, there is a anti-filter movement happening and I'm, I'm fully supportive of it, but I also have to get comfortable and seeing myself look like an actual human being. And I have that conversation with clients as well. We're not trying to completely take away skin texture. We're not trying to take away every single shadow of the face because when we do, it doesn't look natural. It doesn't look like you. And that's the whole point of doing aesthetics is to maintain that you look. So yeah. And, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure. Dr. Honey, trying to be a female out here. So I think that it's important to talk about, you know, you're a conservative physician and I think that's important. 
And so, you know, these, these girls that come to see you, AKA, like if I came to see you at, at 35 saying that if you don't need it, don't do it. Basically what I'm understanding is surgical is not a preventative manner. It's invasive. It has a lot of risk attached, possible complications. So I guess you don't necessarily have to look like before, but you have to have issues of laxity to address laxity. Sure. So, um, but you've also said too, you know, a lot of aging you don't see until women are in their forties. And I'm gathering that that's a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are partaking in non-surgical approaches. So what would you recommend for the thirties to be doing now to age in the most graceful way possible until it requires a surgical approach? Sunscreen. <laughs> Sunscreen. It's so Just important. in the podcast right now. Yes. Get out of the sun. It's yeah. really hard for people to do. It is. But if you're looking at facial aging, it is number one, two, three. Yeah. And we're in Texas, which makes it even harder. So to photo, stay out of sun. photo aging is one, two, three. You know, genetics is another component. Overall health. You know, any if you have any other medical conditions or things like that, that can obviously impact your skin. And, but, you know, you were, you were touching on the skincare stuff, which you can get into, but if you're not doing just simple sun avoidance, wearing sunscreen, then it really doesn't matter. There's no point doing anything if you're not wearing sunscreen. How often should we be applying our sunscreen? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I apply it every day, right? And if you're right. going to be outside, the thing with applying sunscreen is if you're going to be at the beach, you're going to be out and about, obviously wear a hat, but any of those sunscreens, it doesn't matter what the SPF is. You have to reapply it every two hours. Yes. And they say that there's no benefit really over 70. Yeah. So and so you just have to, the, the key is to re reapply it. Reapply until you die. But you can, you can tell people this all day. They're still going to be out in the sun. I'm, gu I'm guilty of it. I mean, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not reapplying as often as I need to. So I tell people, which we'll get into this on the skincare episode, but I tell people to purchase their sunscreen that they're going to put on in the morning, no matter if it's cloudy, if there's a hurricane outside, there's a fire, tornadoes happening, there's still going to be UV rays that come through that to, that will affect our, our skin. But then also purchase like a translucent powder that has at least SPF of 35 that's medical grade and keep it in your glove box. And every time you buckle your seatbelt, just put it on because you you'll agree with me, but left side of the face typically ages faster because that's the side that hits the sun when we're driving and we're all out and about unless I'm wrong. No. Okay. Good. good. Ooh. I don't think you've said anything wrong. That's amazing. Cause t that's not my usual. I'm like on my, I'm on my game right now. So this <laughs> and you, is haven't, great. you haven't triggered me. That's great. I was I'm not really, easily triggered. I'm pretty laid back. I can tell. And I'm very thankful for that because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it would be fun if you were, but it's a lot easier of a conversation when you're not. <laughs> so, uh, what do you look for, for future technology for facelifting? Is there things that are happening that you're foreseeing that you're going to partake in? Or are you like a, uh, this is my method. I'm sticking with it because it works. You know, there's not really technologies that are coming out that are changing facelifting. I mean, you look at energy devices, radio frequency, you know, I do neck tight, face tight. Okay. And there's other adjuncts that you can add in, but they don't change the fundamental operation, which is face or neck lifting. It is by far the most powerful, you know, tool we have to shape the face and neck. Right. Okay? I'm going in there and manually, you know, 
tightening muscles, removing fat, reshaping all of that, repositioning up, taking out inches of skin. You just can't compete with that with any kind of technology. I do use lasers in my practice, mostly ablative lasers. When you were talking about the waxy appearance. Yes. Everybody's scared of that. What is that? That is somebody who's had aggressive resurfacing. And so really aggressive ablative CO2 laser, old time CO2 lasers, or really aggressive chemical peels. Yeah. It obliterates the oil content of the skin. They get a really waxy, they lose pigment. So it's hypopigmented. We don't really do that anymore. My patients want to be back up and at work in a week or two. Okay. So from a resurfacing standpoint, we're doing fractionated lasers. And uh, so technologies like that are always improving. But in terms of the actual facelift surgery itself, it doesn't change that much. But there's things that we're doing on top of it that I think are better for the in-betweeners, as I call them. And those are people. The 30s. The people that are waiting to do stuff. Again, there's not really that age. It could be 30s. It could be 40s. Right. It could be 50s. True. You know, I've done a neck lift on somebody in her thirties. Right. Right. But I've, there's 60 year olds that just aren't ready yet. Right. And so for those in-betweeners, there are options that we have with radio frequency that are more aggressive than any other previous technology out there. Is that necessarily going to be a neck lift result? We're not there yet. That's fair. No, uh, this has been crazy informative. Thank you for my intervention. I will wait <laughs> to do surgical things now, I guess. But I will probably see you for face tight. Isn't that something that, like it builds collagen but tightens as well? What's your ideal candidate for that treatment? And if you're not unfamiliar with it, it's a device that uses, is it? Radio frequency. Radio frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more invasive than like microneedling with radio frequency, correct? Doesn't it go underneath the tissue? Yep. So a lot of people get a lot of the technologies confused. There's microneedling, which is just small needles that go through the skin. There's microneedling radio frequency where the tips of the microneedles are actually heated and that heat promotes collagen growth at a certain depth that is dependent on the, um, basically it's adjustable, right? So I can go down three and a half millimeters or two and a half millimeters and apply that heat and that promotes collagen. On the undersurface of the skin with these other devices, we're actually going under the skin and we're radio frequency tightening the skin. And for those types of devices, it's more of a surgical procedure because we're basically elevating skin. We're passing this probe. It's almost more similar to liposuction. And the tip of the uh, cannula is heated it's a controlled device where we can really get certain degrees of tightening without damaging the skin. So it's very controlled. This gets into a whole nother I know, conversation, the whole right? Thing. My overall thing is if you're thinking about a facelift, if you're one of these in-betweeners, if you want to do something today and you don't want to do surgery, you can do one of these devices, right? If you think you might just need a facelift in a couple of years, I would just wait. Right. These devices by contracting the skin, you're essentially creating some type of a scar response. Mm -hmm. And that scar response is basically a controlled damage of the skin, right? Which is going to build collagen and help to tighten. All of that. Yes. But it still is, you know, it can damage the skin. It could lead to, um, you know, if you're doing that treatment over and over again, it can have its consequences, right? And so this isn't something you want to be doing once every year, once every couple of years. I mean, if you're going to do it once or maybe twice and then do surgery, that's fine. But you're not going to be wanting to do this type of treatment very often. So 
I tell people they're, they're going to have a great result. If they're kind of in between and they're on the fence, just wait. Gotcha. No, it makes sense. And I appreciate that level of honesty. Basically, if you're looking for a surgeon that is both ethical and conservative and will keep you looking like your best self without feeding you any kind of lies or making you get treatment whenever you don't want it, or if you need an intervention like myself, who just needs to be told no sometimes, which is hard to hear when you're me, but it's fine. Everything's totally fine. Then Dr. Rahani is your person to go to. And I mean, I noticed your work from forever away. You're somebody that I refer people to all the time because I know that they're going to get the best practice and best outcomes that they can get with the treatment that they're getting by you. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you for coming on the show. Will you please share your Instagram so everybody knows how to find you? I will. And thank you, by the way. That means a lot. Absolutely. My Instagram is at Facial Plastic Surgery Institute. And my website's also facialplasticsurgeryinstitute.com. And that's it. Yeah. Go see him for a consultation because he's amazing. Unless you're my client, then stay with me, (laughs) (laughs) please. Um, So yeah, I appreciate you guys for listening to the show. If you will, please go on to iTunes or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a like, share it with all your friends, leave a review, give me all the love so that I feel like you guys are enjoying it as much as I enjoy doing it and you keep listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about medical grade skincare and getting into what you should be doing now to help you age as gracefully as possible. If you will, please follow my Instagram at injector underscore Heather so that you can also keep up with all of the fun activities that I have you guys involved in. And as always, I enjoyed talking to you guys and I look forward to talking again next week. Thanks. Bye.